Hi, everybody, and welcome to Real Talk Radio. I'm your host, Hillary Ramo. Today, I'm going to be talking to a panel of experts on THC, that little baddie, three-letter word that you hear a lot about when it comes to cannabis and why we shouldn't consume it, we shouldn't have it in our products, and why it's so bad for us. But today, I'm going to offer a different perspective with my three guests It hopefully changes your mind and brings more awareness and uh, changes how we see this. Because I think right now on the collective platform, we're watching a very strategic propaganda machine go after THC and uh, making the cannabis medicine that we consume legally or not uh, less potent. And it's changing the structure of that plant. So we're going to be talking about that today. So sit tight and hopefully by the end of this hour, you have a different perspective on THC. And the next time you go into a dispensary to buy a product, you might ask different questions. Joining me today from Switzerland is Merlin Gordon. He is the CEO of drugstore.com and headshopdistribution.com. Merlin has established himself as a well-known figure in the European cannabis community with a focus on high-end products and designer concept stores. Gordon is redefining the image of cannabis and the CBD industry. As expert in retail management, distribution, product development, and horticulture, uh, based between the U.S. and Switzerland, Gordon has has had his finger on the pulse of the global cannabis movement. And we're going to be hearing the difference between the European cannabis industry and the American cannabis industry to see where the consistencies and inconsistencies lie. Uh, Also joining this panel is Josh Hoffman. Josh Hoffman is an entrepreneur and educator in the field of cannabinoid therapy. He works with healthcare professionals and durable medical equipment companies to educate them on the potential benefits of using hemp-derived CBD products and how to select credible companies in the industry to work with. And last but not least, joining me is Jeremy Jackson. You might know him from Baywatch. He's founder of Pachamama CBD. He's a certified nutritionist, personal trainer, fitness chef, and breathwork healer. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us, Hillary. Right. So we're going to start with the first question, and I'm going to go around to each of you. Uh, I want to know what is THC and why it is important, and I'm sure everybody listening wants to know that as well. Merlin, let's start with you. Okay, so THC, to say it very easily so that everybody understands, is the side of cannabis that actually gives you what people are looking for, that high. That high is the THC side. Obviously, there are many other ingredients inside of cannabis. Uh, THC is just one of the cannabinoids. There is CBD that we obviously now know very well, but as well as CBN, CBG, THCV, CBC, there is a, a whole list of other um, cannabinoids that also have effects. Some of them that we don't know as much about. At this point in time, we know the most about THC and CBD. THC is what everybody, as we said, is already familiar with. If you smoke cannabis, it is the high that you're getting. Um, and the CBD obviously works in the body, but the THC has many benefits that the CBD does not have. And if you, let's say, split those uh, two cannabinoids from each other, you're not getting every aspect of the plant. You're really just getting a very specific effect that you're then kind of synthesizing from the plant. Josh, I want to ask you, continuing on that, is THC something that we really need to take out of the medicine that we're consuming, or is it something that we should perhaps consider keeping in? Should we relook at what it means to be high? Could this perhaps be pleasure endorphins that are being released because of the medicine? That's a great question and certainly one that will be um, debated for some time. Um, I am on the side of the fence that the way that nature creates a hemp plant, um, it has the you know the right amount of molecules and cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenes that we don't want to necessarily denature or disturb. And when we start splicing the plant and um, separating the molecules, like maybe we have a CBD isolate, you're really um, you're lessening the chance of a therapeutic uh, experience. In fact, THC has been shown to potentiate every other cannabinoid in the plant. Said another way, 
as the THC amount increases, so too does the efficacy of the entire medicine. But therein lies that double-edged sword where past a certain percentage of THC, and everybody is different in this respect, but obviously one can begin to experience a psychotropic effect if they encounter too much CB, uh, THC, rather. So um, full spectrum is, you know, my philosophy. I think with a little bit of THC, the legal permissible limit, uh, at least in the United States, is three-tenths of 1%. Obviously not near enough to get anybody high, but um, certainly enough to increase the potential therapeutic value of, of, the, uh, of the formula. Josh, couldn't it be said that the THC actually is the key to opening the receptors in the brain that allow the medicine to get into the endocannabinoid system? Well, you know, that's, uh, I mean, THC certainly binds more directly to the CB1 receptor than C- CBD, which has a more indirect association to the receptors, um, which is equally as important. Um, so it could be said that, that, uh, that, that that's, you know, a fairly accurate statement. Yeah, I would stand behind that. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy, um, yes. as the owner of Pachamama CBD, how do you make the decision on what products you're going to make for consumers? How is that selection for you when it comes to designing a strain or picking products? Well, uh, first and foremost, I'll just let you know that I'm a shareholder. My my best friend is the owner. I do lifestyle development and product education, and I, I was here from the inception, so I can't steal all the credit for the company uh, by any means. Um, and I love what everybody's saying so far. You know, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, to be exact, um, is not the key like you mentioned but it is one tooth on the key. When you're looking at the endocannabinoid system, you're looking at an identical match to this hemp extract. And when you knock one of the keys out, say isolating CBD by itself, or say knocking out the THC in a broad spectrum, you might be able to jiggle the key around and force it in, but the, the, the lock's not going to open perfectly. So when you have that full spectrum, um, you do get that perfect fit and you do get to turn on that endocannabinoid system, which everybody has. We produce CBD 30 milligrams by ourselves every day if you've never even seen a joint, if you've never even taken a hemp product, if you've never even heard of it, you're still producing it. But like many factors in our environment today, in our, in our, in our system today, we don't have the ability to produce these precious things like gut bacteria due to environmental uh, issues, due to uh, unhealthy food, due to chemicals, lack of sun, lack of exercise, overstress. Our endocannabinoid systems are being turned off, and this is the system that is responsible for so many things. We're barely scratching the surface of how uh, monumental this endocannabinoid ECS is. So, uh, you know, you see all types of different reactions with people. Oh my gosh, my, my feet, they don't hurt or the swelling or the sleeping or the anxiety, you know, Rick Simpson oil healing cancer. I mean, we really, uh, we've really been lied to for a long time. And if you look back in the history of, of hemp, you will just be blown away. There's a major unlearning that has to take place getting back to our, to our ancestors and to the, the primal plant medicines to see what is really capable for, for the human body. And I love that you asked me about our, that our, our selection because at Pachamama, uh, we do single strain, single origin, uh, that means we grow from a non-GMO seed. We go from the same seed every time so that you can have that reliability in the product. If you buy a product today and if you buy a product in two years, it's going to have the same color. It's going to have the same taste. It's going to have the same effect. Um, you'll never have any guesswork um, and, and wonder if this batch of quote-unquote worked as well. And we have 84 patents on an extraction process. This is so important. So many people are treating um, stuff with chemicals. So many people, uh, e- even with, with regular food this is a precious sacred plant medicine uh that mother earth has given us and it's it's so important to extract it with no chemicals so we have a heated air and pressure extraction that doesn't damage any of the phytonutrients that actually warms up and activates some of the terpenes and the flavor profiles and we want to deliver it the way it was meant to be delivered because we want people to experience that freedom and we want people to have 
uh, that improvement of quality of life that, that everybody is looking for, that everybody deserves. Thank you for that. And I want to mention to people listening that cannabinoids, uh, compounds like THC, can be found abundantly in human breast milk. So for babies that are nursed uh, when they're born, they actually get THC and cannabinol, which like to stick to fat, uh, in breast milk. And so I'm wondering also, and this is kind of a side note, how much we've gotten away from breastfeeding. It's very often demonized as well as something and babies are just, you know, sent right to formula when they're born. How much that has actually affected the imbalance of the endocannabinoid system. Anybody have any thoughts on that? It's a very interesting question. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk about Maybe we yeah. can talk about that down the road too, but I do want, I did, when I found that out, I, I thought that was very surprising because as a mom of two kids, you know, I nursed my kids as babies and there was so much anti-breastfeeding uh, it, it coming into the space that it was very surprising. And I think a lot of women experience that. But I just want to mention that too, that THC is actually found in breast milk. So we get it if we're nursed and if we're not, we don't. And I'm curious how that affects the health system. Um, moving on, what is THCA and is it the same as THC? Merlin? Merlin, are you there? I think he's back. I think he's back. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Okay. Hello? Yes. Hi, Hello. Merlin. Okay, sorry, we I lost mean, you. Um, I have a question THCA for you. THCA is, yes. is basically the acid conversion of, 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 of THC. So what it is is even though it, it is basically THC, it is, um, it's only active after basically 30 minutes in an oven. You would have to activate it. Then uh, THCA is an active compound. So it has to be heated in order for it to be active. Is that why you see THCA listed on uh, dispensary labels for products? Oftentimes I see THC and then I see a thing called THCA, and I know a lot of people don't understand what these subchemicals are. So how important is it for us to understand the percentages of that? Well, I mean, first off, it has, I mean, what people know now is that it's anti-inflammatory. Um, there are some other things that they also consider it to be helpful in, but at the moment, THCA is the, one of these components that has much less research done on it. So in actuality, we don't know as much as we should about THCA, as well as we don't know basically anything about, you know, CBN, you know, the, I mean, you know, small things like it's anti-insomnia and things like this. There's many ingredients in cannabis that we have no idea about. Then if you also look on... I mean, this is one side of the effect is like THCA, THC. Then on the other side are all of the terpenes. And that has become one of the biggest areas of focus for research is because we already know that uh, cannabis has over 100 different terpenes. Uh, some people say 140. It's a, it's a number that is always switching around. Uh, that number... All of those specific terpenes, we have some studies about. So not every single one has been studied, but, uh, you know, limonin, um, th things we have studied, we know the effects, and some of them are specifically, you know, also anti-inflammatory, they help you sleep, antidepressants. All of these added into THC and CBD are what most likely gives you the entourage effect. And when people discuss uh, sativa or indica, uh, now science is kind of looking at those two sides of it as being not actually different in terms of effects and that the effects come down to the specific terpenes that are in the plant. And based on the terpene profile, the plant should give you what we would consider uh, maybe a sativa-ish effect. You could get an indica that would have the same effect as a sativa based on these terpenes and other things that also have major effects on your uh, high or experience from the plant. And, uh, you know, when we look at that, that's also just, again, even though that's the second level of effect, that is also not the end of it. There is the third level that has the least information about it, is the flavonoids. And the flavonoids most likely have also a great effect, but they're in even smaller numbers in cannabis plants. So when you actually synthesize i mean basically we haven't had great ways to study them in particular because we have such small amounts of them 
from the actual plants. Um, in the future, we hope to know much more about flavonoids and terpenes and all of these other uh, cannabinoids that have major effect on the human, uh, the, yeah, on human beings, and we are really just in the beginning of that stage. Why are we so ignorant when it comes to the cannabis plant? Is it something that we haven't had the opportunity to study well enough, or is it because independent labs haven't had that privilege and only government labs have? I think that that is one of the major reasons. It has basically been thrown to the backside of. Yep. Yeah, this has been thrown to the backside of. Hello, hello. We hear you. Yeah, we hear you. Okay. Sorry, okay, I'm not sure. Um, Maybe somebody needs to mute their mic just so we don't have the background noise. Go ahead, please. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, I would say that research is the number one thing that is the hindrance. If we would be finally able to research this on a government level and actually be able to really study every aspect of the cannabis plant, that is the beginning of what we actually would need to understand it. We really are, I mean, if you look at the way that we have looked at cannabis, we've looked at cannabis from the illegal side of the market, where we call these things strains. When a strain isn't supposed to be used for a plant, a strain is a disease. Um, these are chemovars or chemotypes. Basically, these are types of, I mean, these are a variety of a plant. And um, we, if you think about that, from the very, like the, the very beginning of the way that we even discuss these things, we are already making major mistakes. We call them strains. They're not strains. Already the scientific community looks at us for saying things like strains, and they, they look at us as an ignorant group because we are not using the, even the correct terminology. Um, at the same time, it's been, it's been, I mean, the cannabis industry has been forced to the underground. That is the reason why there's so, mis, so much misinformation and so little that is actually known is because we have spent so much time working uh, are discovering these things basically on the black market amongst growers that are taking great risk. And there has been some studies that are now finally showing some of the effects of these other aspects, but very few in comparison to, you know, almost any other plant. And uh, we have studied almost everything else more than we have studied cannabis. The one few things that I can see as, as one of the great things about Canada finally legalizing is that at least in Canada, there's going to be some serious studies done on the effects of maybe some of or, or all of these aspects. And um, as as the world slowly moves into legalization, which I think it is a domino effect, and it's going to fall. All of them will fall eventually. Um, I think that this knowledge is only going to be greatly increased as time progresses. Hmm. Well, Canada has also... Uh, decided to tax THC, not like we do here in the United States yet, but they have uh, companies who are specifically adept in handling THC and the products that, that produce from that. And uh, they've decided to tax it. So if you want THC in your product, you have to pay more money for it. So I wonder if that's coming to the United States as well. Is that How does that work in Europe, Merlin? Is that something that's going on over there uh -huh. or... Basically, in in Europe, they have really done it a country by country um, kind of rollout. So each country has its own specific rules. And even though in Europe wide, you would say that the uh, THC limits are 0.2, so they're actually a little bit less than the U.S. Um, besides that, individual countries have made specific rules. So Italy has 0.6, which is actually higher than the U.S. Switzerland has 1%, which is actually the highest anywhere except in countries that have gone fully legal on a federal level, even though it's so little. Um, and most countries, uh, like in Italy, they do not tax it as a, uh, a specific product. They just take a VAT tax on it. In Switzerland, they put all cannabis under a tobacco tax. So we have the highest level of taxation where it's 35%. Um, and, uh, you know, country by country, these these have been very different regulatory environments. And even right now, it is being discussed in multiple governments in Europe what will actually happen. And um, certain countries in Europe have actually made CBD illegal. Uh, Poland uh, being one off the top of my head. Uh, France has also had significant issues with CBD, even though they originally allowed it. 
They're also a pretty conservative country and pretty, I would say, if we're talking about Europe, one of the countries that's further away from legalization than others. I would say one of the countries closest would be Switzerland and uh, Portugal or countries like this that are a little bit more uh, liberal. Italy, um, not most likely very soon. And uh, I would say most of Europe, it'll be a hard fight in certain areas, especially in the Norwegian countries, even though you would expect them to be very liberal uh, they look at cannabis as a hard drug. I mean, they treat it in their laws, actually, very much like the U.S. does. Um, and also, just societally, they look at it as something that people should not be consuming. And if you are, you are a drug. So there are certain countries in Europe that I think will probably be moving to legalization very soon. Others that will definitely take much longer. But um, in general... They are looking at it each individually and have their own regulatory kind of environment set up. And um, it's always interesting to see how it's working out. Even we see it in the U.S. and by state by state rollouts, they kind of decide to do different things constantly. Certain states have it completely controlled by the state government. Others are, you know, much looser. Um, it's very interesting to see which one is going to be the dominant uh, regulatory system because that one will probably even be rolled out to countries as they you know also open up to cannabis so yeah it is very it is a it's a period where we don't know a whole lot and regulatory environment is constantly changing i mean in a way throughout the whole world with this plant at the moment but at the same time it's one where i think in the future we have obviously you know great opportunities and as we show the government that this plant is not the dangerous plant that they have said for so long. I think that we will definitely have a pretty easy job convincing, you know, our represent representatives once the facts get really shown and put forward, which is just, as we said, it's the one thing. It came from an illegal side of the market. It takes time for us to gather the science, especially since we've been hindered in such great ways. But I think slowly now we are finally at a place where the science is starting to catch up. It's not here yet, but it is slowly moving in the right direction. And hopefully very soon we will know much more about this and also then be able to go to governments and create regulatory environments that work. Because many places are setting up a system that is not sustainable for growers or retailers and uh, if they do that obviously then they shove people back into the illegal market and we realize that if you do that the vape crisis in the u.s is basically a result of of that of people going to the illegal side of the market again unregulated products and um yeah and because people trying to avoid those taxes these different these different things that they're setting on producers and the difficult, I mean, basically they set up the system to try to be as hard for a smaller canvas producer to get into and basically have forced it to be a place where only corporations can play because the small cannabis consumer uh, producer will be completely wiped out by the costs associated with running a legal business. It's so frustrating. Jeremy, I'd like to ask you this question. Thank you, Merlin. Um, what is the difference between sativa and indica for those listening? You know, um, I'm. you can hear me, right? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, very similar to Josh in the mentality that, uh, that the hemp is the way to go. I myself am in recovery. I, I don't do mind and mood altering drugs, um, but I do believe in plant medicine. And I do believe in a holistic lifestyle. Um, and I, I do believe in the uh, unfortunately it, it, Rocky-esque story of hemp. And, you know, I encourage people to really do their research. I mean, this stuff is so easy to find and we have been being lied to um, for so long. And, and, and big pharma is killing people. I mean, 12,500 uh, 12, years ago, hemp was our first mass produced crop historically documented. You know what I mean? You can find this stuff. Our paper was on it. The first draft of the Declaration of Independence was written on it. First five presidents farmed hemp. A third of the Constitution's uh, signers grew hemp. Um, you know, the cotton gin came around and this guy, Eli Whitney, uh, 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 demonizes hemp crops and marijuana crops saying it was the, it, the Native Americans and the Chinese and the whites. We don't want to give them money. Let's grow our own stuff. And it's cotton instead. I mean, it's been stolen from us, um, just like many, many other 
answers, solutions, and antidotes to our daily problems of not being our best selves. So, you know, I love that Josh mentioned the flavanols. 20 years ago, vitamin C was over the counter. Take vitamin C. It was extracted. It was isolated. You have to have the flavanols and flavonoids in the vitamin C to even uptake it. And it's the same way with, with this, uh, these hemp extracts and, or with, you know, if you need THC, high THC, um, medicines, whether you're really hyper and, and you need, you need the indica, you need to calm down or you're, um, or you, you, you want to wake up and you want to feel more activated. Uh, you go with the, the sativas, you know, um, and, and, you know, people need to find, out for themselves. They need to get on the internet. They need to do real research. They need to join some boards and some forums and just know that we're being lied to. Chicken, for example, is not juicy. When you walk into the grocery store and you see juicy chicken with this pink fluid, chickens do not produce pink fluid. What (laughs) is that? Start asking questions. The FDA does not give a damn about you. They want you eating Eggo waffles and drinking, you know, orange juice from concentrate with freaking corn syrup in it. Start doing your research. Start getting involved. This is the process of self-love. Mother Earth, Mother Nature, God, Creator has provided the answers for us and we've gotten so far away from it. It's it's disgusting. It's crippling. People are dying. Obesity is out, heart disease. Everything is out out of control. Gym memberships are higher than ever. Everybody's fat, dying and sick and and has anxiety and has pain. And they're going to the doctors because they trust them. But the doctors get four hours of nutrition education. They are not there to promote wellness. They are there to mask diseases. So you have a customer for life, a client for life to keep coming back and paying for this stuff. You can grow your own stuff. You can do this free. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that's my standpoint on it. Uh, I don't get too, too involved in, I mean, if I have somebody dying from cancer, if I have somebody sick, crippling pain, um, you know, definitely they're going to need to get a different variance of, of this medication. They're going to need to get a higher dose. They're going to need that THC. Um, and then you're going to split the difference between the indicas and the sativas and find out which one works for them, um, to, to help them have some normality in their life and, and get out of this box. Well, you know, the endocannabinoid system is about balance, so it reminds me that if we, our doctors and medical people have not even been taught that the system exists in the human body, what else have they been taught? Um, Josh, I'd like to ask you what your opinion is on the difference between sativa and indica. Um, Yeah, I think that um, Jeremy, you know, nailed it, and, uh, you know, what I typically tell people, I say, you know, an indica is going to express itself more in the body and give you a deeper relaxation. And sometimes, you know, when people can't remember how, you know, the, the, the word indica, we sometimes say, remember, indica, in the couch. <laughs> get it? Indica in the couch. You're in, you're in the couch. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> okay. Or indica in the chair. You know, you're, you're relaxing. So it's more of a body type expression and certainly there to help sedate and relax and calm you. Whereas the sativa, I like to say it expresses itself more cerebrally. In the brain, your cognition, your thought, you know, it lifts you up like Jeremy pointed out. It gives you energy and not just physical energy but brain energy. You know, I find that people tell me when they try a sativa, they get all project-oriented like something that their spouse or significant other has been, you know, yelling at them to complete for the last three months. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, I want to finish that today, you know. So, (laughs) you know, Jeremy nailed it when he said, you know, it just – it depends on people's symptoms. Symptoms, what they're going through, um, what the, you know they're trying to mitigate, and and the symptoms that they're trying to reduce. So there may be a point in a day where an indica is more appropriate, like for the nighttime, or where an sativa or a hybrid during the the day, um, you know, is more appropriate because you don't want to be drowsy or sedate during the day if you have things to do. So it's really about understanding 
you know, the person's uh, symptoms, um, condition, severity of the symptoms, how often they present, and also what other medications they may be taking because, you know, everything has a side effect. And we're not so concerned about their medicines because we think there might be some terrible drug-on-drug interaction. It's just more so to determine if, you know, sometimes people take, and listen, I, it's a pleasure to be on the phone with Merlin and Jeremy. I mean, I've known Jeremy's brand for a long time and uh, the reputation, uh, you know, precedes itself. Pashamama is great. And, you know, you have people all over the country reporting, um, you know, phenomenal results. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody takes that and doesn't really have a result. My first question I know I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I ask them if they're taking an SSRI. How much serotonin is in their body, in their blood? Because guess what? The lower the amount of serotonin, the tougher you're going to have at getting a therapeutic result from CBD, and you may require much, much higher concentrations. Um, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it's just having a conversation with somebody, being real, being transparent, finding out what's going on with them, and then, you know, offering them a solution without making any crazy claims like nobody on this phone call has done. And that's what I love about these guys, their passion, um, their knowledge, and um, they're they're doing it right. You know, you have too many people out there, and I think it was uh, Jeremy or maybe even Merlin said it. It's like there's so much false information out there that we kind of have to go and scrub their brains and have them unlearn that stuff and then learn the you know the, the right way to do it so um the more and more people out there like you like merlin like jeremy um that are you know delivering the the message properly um the better everybody's going to be off in the long run well thanks josh i appreciate that i'm sure others do too so it brings my, me to my next question which is what is a hybrid and why does it matter when, when I, I've toured uh, dispensaries in Massachusetts, Washington State, uh, Colorado, and California? And one of the things that I've noticed when I walk in as a, a customer is the people have different levels of education and knowledge of the product. And so far, so people you know, have been pretty good about it. But every now and then you get somebody who really doesn't know how to explain or looks at you kind of cross-eyed when you ask if you have organic sun-grown products because, as mentioned earlier, pesticides is a problem. And one of the things they are finding in the vaping uh, cases that they're having so many problems with is that there are intensely high levels of pesticides in the vape product along with oil. They have actually found petroleum in some of the vaping products as well. So that that's that's for later on in the show. But for right now, what is a hybrid what is crossbreeding and gene editing? Merlin, let's start with you. Okay, so hybrids. This is one of these other parts of the industry that is completely, I mean, filled with misinformation. Because we, when you buy something in the store and it says it's a sativa or it says an indica, I can guarantee you it is a hybrid. And it is dominant, maybe sativa dominant or indica dominant. But again, that has really... I mean, it has really changed the way that we look at it because there is no pure strains. I mean, the pure strains on the market, you'd have to find a land race from somewhere out in Africa to get something that might be a pure sativa or a pure indica. And even those ones, based on the fact that now genes have been taken from Europe or from other places, plants that you know people consider to be much better for growing and making hash or something like this in Morocco, even if you went to Morocco, often the genes are mixed now because strains have been taken or chemovars as i said strain is a is an incorrect term but again strains have been taken there and uh it has now crossed naturally because basically plants can pollinate between i mean this is a also a debated topic it can be between three miles or 30 miles that those pollen could possibly carry and basically cross with another plant if there's a plant Within several miles of the other plant, there is already a chance that they have crossed and their genes are now mixed. Um, we basically know very little about most of these things because, as I said, it went from the illegal side of the market. We have never had a full, like a actual gene bank that is showing us what sativa is or what an indica is nowadays, supposedly even – the High Times has said that in all of the cannabis that they have tested over 
uh, I think I believe it was since the 80s, they have had 1% that they believe is a pure sativa or an indica. And 99% of the plants, and these are ones that are going to the cannabis cup. So I, I guarantee you in your dispensary, it's probably even less likely that you're going to find that 1% that is sativa or indica. It is always a hybrid, almost guaranteed. There are levels to the hybrid factor, but at the same time, it is something that everybody is being misinformed about. And it is something that I also was for many, many years completely misinformed about and also thought of it as this way or that way. That's why also the sativa or indica effect is very hard to 100% say it is that because uh, sativa and indica are plant species that have visual distinctions, but on a actual uh, you know, molecular level, there is not a difference actually between the two plants. Even in their terpene profiles, it can be very similar. There's more myrcene in indica, so people think that might be one of the biggest uh, factors in the couch lock effect, or in the, you know, the indica in the couch. The couch lock effect is possibly coming from the myrcene um, terpene. But that's why we know so little about it that we have been, as I said, it came from a legal side of the market. We looked at the visuals because we didn't know how to get a deeper analysis. We'd see that the sativa plant has longer uh, fan leaves, so the leaves are longer, they're thinner, uh, their plants are taller. Uh, the indica plant is fatter leaves, their fan leaves are fatter, They are sh uh, the leaves are shorter, and in general, the plants are also shorter, they're more bushy, they obviously are the ones that have more um, THC, they're more powerful uh, in general. Then, of course, there's a third, there's ruderalis, nobody talks about it because we don't want it, ruderalis is a plant that is also, it's one of the three, there's sativa, indica, and ruderalis, but ruderalis is the one that is, is, has very little THC, has very little CBD, has very little of anything. It is the weakest of the three. It has been used to cross and make certain autoflowering genes and specific genes have been used uh, crossing ruderalis, but in general, it's not beloved at all. But in, in, in science now, we have been able to break these down to their terpenes and to their CBD and their cannabinoid contents. And when you break some of these plants down, you can find sativa or indicas that are basically doing the exact same thing, have the same profile or very similar profiles. So in those situations, it's very hard to then say sativa is one way, indica is the other, because there are sativas that have more of this, indicas that have more of that. There is an indica that can give you what you would consider a sativa, a high, a, that, that uplifting high, but it's really just based on the components we know so little about. As I said, the cannabinoids are making a huge effect. CBN, CBG, we don't even know these things. There's just recently, there was a gene, uh, uh, a genetic that was uh, released in, I believe it was Spain, after I think it was the University of Barcelona that created this in conjunction with uh, uh, another cannabis seed company in uh, Spain. They have, I think, the first high CBG uh, strain available in the market. Uh, that's the first of its kind. Before that, we could find CBD in such tiny numbers. We could never even study it. So again, sativa indica, it is in itself also a huge mix because hybrids have basically taken over the entire market, and we don't know what is a real pure race strain anymore because we'd have to go to those places that have those land races and basically test it ourselves come up with basically an equivalent to the human genome project for cannabis. You have to gather all of the genes, make a database where you can see actual differences, and then we could test to actually maybe find out, is this a sativa, is this an indica, where is it from, all those things. That is the beginning. There's a couple of companies in America that are trying to build some type of like genome database that would maybe have that. It's still in its infancy, infancy, and many are competing companies that we don't know who's going to be the winner. Also, I don't really think it's great that it would be a privately owned business. I prefer it to be a you know a NGO that somehow we have that information easily available, and then everybody will be able to test and match up their their chemovar uh, to a specific uh, gene in in the database. That that aspect is still many years away, and that's something that really will only come <clears throat> with legalization. And uh, 
maybe now in Canada, as we know, that's the first step. They're at least over there fully legal. They can actually do some of these things. Um, and, you know, the future is bright and we hope to just know more and more. But again, it is one of these aspects of the industry that also is filled with misinformation. And um, we are just at the tipping point and the very beginning of the knowledge that will come res- uh, around this entire topic. Well, I hope Monsanto doesn't beat that race and make us I a wonderful so well. GMO strain that has been uh, aligned with their past products, um, which has gene editing really eliminated the heirloom strains? You know, you have heirloom vegetables. You, you It's about the seed. And if anybody has taken over seeds in this world, it's definitely companies like Monsanto with the budgets to enable the research to map these genomes so that they can better understand them. And, and uh, you know, you and I, Merlin, were speaking before the show about gene editing and how it can be traced back to a certain time, really. And human intervention has really cross-contaminated these strains to the point of no return. Or do you think it's possible to go back and find an heirloom strain at this point, I, because most I most products is, don't have seeds in them, so they're impotent in that way, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, basically, the breeders have tried uh, with autoflowering or basically strains that are already feminized. They have made it so that it is very hard to get a seed that will give you more seeds. I mean, you can get it, but often also genetics are very unstable. So, I mean. I have lots of experience in the horticulture side since uh, the drugstore.com where we are in growing, we are in that side. So we have a lot of experience there. And I can tell you right now, it's one of the hardest aspects of the business because there are so many different pieces to it. And the genes, if you look at it, I mean, we are constantly dealing with new strains that have been created and strains have short shelf lives. To find a stable strain is incredibly rare. And many of the most popular strains, when people go to their local you know, dispensary and they say, hey, this is the same strain I had last time. Why does it taste so different? Why does it look so much worse this time? Sometimes it's the guys are completely, you know, not serious and they're, they're repackaging the same, a uh, different strain with that name. But other times it's because the strain is not stable. So sometimes strains can be very stable, produce great products for maybe even several years. But at some point, that strain is not as strong as it used to be, and it will basically slowly, progressively get worse as its genes kind of falter. And that is a huge problem in the cannabis industry. So in general, most of the strains people are working with are new strains. They have not always the longest shelf life. People try to hold seeds in seed banks, some in Amsterdam, some obviously in America now to try to hold strains so they don't, then they can go back and pick up that seed to then try to bring back that strain. Uh, but in general, it is very hard to keep them stable. And in nature, as I said, there is a lot of cannabis that is grown naturally throughout the world. But the issue is we are such a globalized society that cannabis has now started to move from all over the world. And if it is in a country where there is a cannabis industry, I mean, an illegal cannabis industry, then most likely they already have mixed the genes because the genes in general, land races were not as powerful. I mean, the reason we have done all of this gene editing, I mean, naturally with crosses or, you know, it's still, it's still edited. This in the end makes it much, much harder to find anything that is 100% pure. There are companies that, pride themselves on going to the furthest reaches of the world um to give i'll I'll give them a shout out greenhouse seeds they've been around for a long time they're also the creators of uh, many names that are very popular in the strain and i mean basically white widow would probably be their biggest one um anyways that company which has been around since the i think the 80s uh they pride themselves on going everywhere in the world to Africa, to, uh, you know, South America. Really, they're going into the jungle to the deepest part. They're trying to find a local who can take them to the field that's hidden in the mountains. And even then, you watch them. There's videos online. You can even watch them do this. Uh, Oftentimes, they'll go over there and they'll find the seeds. I mean, it is already genetically not pure. 
And to find a pure gene for them, even though they are on the search for it, and that's their business is creating new genes and getting these land races from all over the world. They've already been doing it for many years. For them, it is a huge struggle to find a pure race. And it takes immense effort and immense time to actually find a pure land race. And even if we found that pure land race, basically, most likely, it has been crossed with an other land race in the area. Because as I said, the fact that cannabis pollen is going to reach such extreme distances it means that if there is two types even within several miles and i mean some people's estimates are 30 miles if it's in within 30 miles of each other they could already cross breed and think about that over thousands and thousands of years the chance that they haven't is very low so genes in general have become very muddled but obviously some land races should be out there they're just incredibly difficult to find, and nobody is, sell, is is growing any of those real land races for consumption. Because in general, they're much – I mean, they have, probably have very bad um, – I mean, they probably have very bad uh, um, quantity coming off of it, I would imagine. They're not the greatest with yield in general. That's one of those things. I mean, the tomatoes that we have now and everything that we look at, all of our food has been – manipulated in some way right we a, a natural tomato used to be a much smaller thing now we have gigantic tomatoes that are unnatural it's the same thing with cannabis we took cannabis we crossed them and we made gigantic powerful incredibly strong with thc and cbd strengths but that is again just one aspect of it what's wrong with leaving the plant alone and letting it just be and consuming it the way it is. I mean, crossbreeding in nature is natural selection. You could mm -hmm. just write that off to God, right? You know, it's just the way nature is. But when we have such a huge industry going in search of designer products, um, you know, and gene editing, I'd like to ask Jeremy this question. Um, are designer strains the future of the cannabis industry? Are we looking at products that are going to be custom designed to the busy person who's going 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 and just needs that product um is it really about finding the perfect mix of combinations for people to purchase or is there a higher purpose well you know unfortunately to answer your question um what happened is uh during the 1800s in uh manufacturing plants in germany uh, really started uh, uh, blowing up, and we started pumping pollutants into the air, and we created acid rain. And that acid rain has eroded all of the bacteria that was naturally occurring in the soil. We had over 1,500 count of natural bacteria that existed that, and, and ele uh, uh, elemental minerals. These elemental minerals and these natural bacteria that allowed plants, fruits, and vegetables to grow – um, and have their own natural defenses against pesticides are gone, literally gone. Our only hope is finding uh, ancient frozen tundra that, that still has uh, soil that has been untouched by our toxic environment. So we had to start using NPK. Uh, it was a guy, Justice von Liebig, who discovered the NPK, and uh, he found that the fruits and vegetables grew big and fast and strong. Um, and he mysteriously disappeared when he wanted to come out and tell everybody, never mind, uh, it's no longer nutritious. So basically all of our fruits and vegetables are growing nowhere near. I have a feeling that if we were to eat a thousand year old salad, we would probably be high off the salad, um, because the nutrients are nowhere near what they used to be. So, you know, we've really backed ourselves into a corner here. Will science fix that or or will a, uh, a, a collective consciousness and, and, a, and a demand uh, fix that? And that's going to be up to the people to be sick and tired of being sick and tired and start coming together to find some solutions. We're doing our part at our company by trying to be as natural, as organic, as, as holistic and chemical free as possible. Um, I think we're doing more than, than most people are, but it's about raising that, uh, that awareness and, and education. Mm. Well, I definitely think the soil is a big part of it, like you said, and I don't think people really have too much connection to that because how many people garden? They go to the grocery store, they get their food with the juice and the chicken. 
and they don't they don't think much of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a really interesting thing for food as well, especially as we go forward in global uh, in a global sense. Um, Josh, we're about the end of the show, and I'd like to to have your opinion on where you think the industry is headed here in the United States, and what we have to be really careful and selective with. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first of all, I think that, you know, piggybacking on what Jeremy said and what Merlin said about, you know, what is the future of this? I, I do think that customizing medicine and not necessarily denaturing the plant, you know, and removing this and that, but adding the different terpene profiles, as Merlin was alluding to, you could have a sativa, which most people know and think, hey, that makes you energetic and gives you, you know, thought power and, you know, a little bounce in your step. But depending on the terpene profile, that sativa could treat or, you know, express itself to you just like an indica would. Uh, he alluded to the, like, a beta-mercine, alpha and beta-mercine um, uh, terpene, and that's sedative, right? So if we increased that in a formula chances are we should have a you know response similar to what that cannabinoid has been shown to potentially do i think that's where we are going to see a lot of um focus and money and investments uh in into that space but you know i think that the legal and regulatory um you know parameters need to come into view a lot quicker and 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 be more transparent and be more um, definable because there's still, you know, so many uh, nuances state to state and, um, you know, in the country that really uh, everybody is kind of um, still confused. You know, it's not black and white. There's still a lot of gray. So I think that compliance and regulation needs to come into the picture more. And I know that everybody on the phone here is all for that because – it's only going to take the people that are making it harder for us to do it the right way because they're out there doing it the wrong way and just trying to make a buck and using, you know, harsh, uh, you know, uh, biofuels to get, uh, you know, the extraction of the of the. Uh, they need to go. They need to go, Josh. Yeah, exactly. We are out of time, guys. I would like to say thank you to all of you very much for taking time out of your day to speak with us today. And uh, good luck with all of your endeavors and, and your products and what the great things that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, guys, we're out of time. I'm Hillary Ramo. This is Real Talk Radio right here on KCA, Los Angeles and Southern California. Thanks so much for being here. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.